Uh, so once again, want to welcome you to Sweetwater Baptist Church. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, if this is your first time here, we want you to know that it is our hope that this, don't worry about what's going on back there. Uh, it is our hope that this church can be a second home to you, a place in which you can find community, a place in which you can find gathering God, but more important than all of those things, we also hope that it can be a place in which you can find God, that you can grow in your walk with God. If you haven't been with us here for the past two Fridays, well, we started a series titled Freedom Starts Today. There you go. Freedom Starts Today. And it's all about finding freedom over sin, right? Finding freedom over sin and realizing that freedom over sin is a very, very real possibility in your life and in my life. And we're kind of going through this series to be able to understand that. How is freedom really made possible for you and I? A couple Fridays back, if you weren't here, we talked about three things that we ought to recognize as Christians, and even if we're not really Christians or sure about who God really is. The first thing was to recognize the severity of sin, to recognize really how serious, how deadly sin can be for you and I. And that was the first thing, because if we don't really see the need If we don't really see sin as a big deal in the first place, we won't have any desire. We won't have any motivation to overcome it in the first place. So we must come to a real clear understanding of what sin really is. We learn that sin is a rebellion towards a holy God. It is a distortion of the good that God created. This is what sin is. It's more than just a little mistake. It's not just a little slip up. It is a sin a rebellion, an offense against a holy and righteous God. And that is why sin is so severe. We also ask you to recognize that freedom over sin is found in Jesus. Freedom over sin is made possible because of the work and person of Jesus Christ. And that's actually what we're going to be talking about tonight. And the last thing which we're going to be talking about next Friday is that recognize that walking in freedom is a daily commitment. You must make the daily choice to surrender your day before God and say, God, I need your help to be able to walk in obedience to you. And that makes all the difference. So last Friday, we looked in particular to the severity of sin. And we learned that sin, it always leads to more sin. And that is why it is so severe. It never stays like that. Sin also doesn't just affect you, but it affects those around you. And we were looking at all of these things, and we also saw that sin always comes with a cost, right? It always comes with a cost. And we looked at the quote that said that sin always shows you the price, but never the price tag. It always shows you the bait, but never the hook. And that is what is so deadly about sin. It always comes with a cost, and it always hurts not only you, but those around you as well. And the last thing, and I think the the biggest reason on why sin is really so severe It's because sin always displeases the Lord. Well, we sometimes look at the smallest sin that we can commit, and God absolutely hates that. It is a complete offense. Even the white little lie that we say, it is a complete offense to a holy God. And that is what we've been kind of discussing through this time here. Now, let's keep keeping all these things in mind, right, and trying to come to this understanding of sin and how we can make sin possible. The goal for tonight is to really look at the Scriptures, to look at the Word of God and be able to see through it who God is. And we're going to understand who He is. And through that, we're going to see what exactly did Jesus do and what does what He did have to do with me today. 
Because if we want to really be free over sin, we must understand how it's made possible in the first place. And ladies and gentlemen, that is because of God and the work that Jesus did. So tonight, my hope is that through Scripture, you are able to see for yourself who God is. That God is a God of deliverance. And that Jesus is a Jesus who redeems, who offers forgiveness, who brings us together to God. So why is it so important for us to see it in the scriptures for itself? Because you see, your life will not be radically changed by listening to a sermon or a great motivational video or even showing up on Friday. That is not what radically changes your life. The only thing that will radically change your life is a personal encounter with God himself. This is what will make the whole difference. Right here, knowing God will make all the difference in your life. What do I mean by that? It all has to start there. When you have this personal encounter with God, and I'm not talking about this moment in your room where this light shows up and it's, wow, you know, this crazy experience. No, I'm talking about you making the commitment to know God. Not just know about God, but rather know who God is. And the same thing goes for the Christian. The same thing happens for the believer, the person who already knows Christ, who may have had a whole life of knowing God, or at least knowing about God. This person, this Christian, must make the daily commitment, must make it a priority to know God, not just read the Word of God, but know the God of the Word. And listen to this, that makes the whole difference. Not listening to me, not showing up to church, is knowing God himself that will radically change your life. This is what will allow you to overcome sin. This is what will make it possible for you to live a life free, whether that is from an addiction, from a struggle, whatever the cause might be. It is in knowing God. Yes, have plans, have goals for your life, have things that you want to do. But at the top of all of those things, make it a priority to know God. Let that be a commitment in your life that you make to know God, to know more about Him, to look at His Word and fall in love with it. Make it a commitment. Be intentional about developing a desire for His Word. Now, this is not something that happens overnight. It's not. You didn't just develop this desire for God from one day to the other. You didn't just develop this hunger for His Word from one day to the other. It starts with prayer, but it also starts with daily commitment. To saying, God, I want to know more of you because that makes all the difference in my life. Would you challenge yourself? Would you commit yourself to make it a priority in your life? Whatever you do, whatever goals, whatever dreams you have, to say, God, I want to know more of you. I want to look at your word and I want to be able to see you. It is through his word that we're able to know God. God reveals himself. He reveals who he is through his word. And that is my hope for tonight, that you can see that. And we're going to be looking and a very interesting story in the Bible. Now, like we did last Friday, this is a very real story. It is a real historical event that occurred. And it's a great story that teaches us so many things about God and just who he is. To kind of get you before we get there in the book of Exodus, I want you to give you a little bit of context to be able to set you right before we get into these verses so you're able to understand it. So God, he makes a covenant with a man named Abraham. And we read of that in Genesis chapter 17. So God says that he will make, and he will have made many descendants. He makes this promise to Abraham. He also says that he will give to him and his descendants 
the land of Canaan. It's a very, very special land that God is promising. He is making this promise to them. Now, we move forward a couple years, and we hear about somebody named Joseph. Now, Joseph is pretty well known in the Bible. If you grew up in church, if you grew up going to Sunday school, you've definitely heard of Joseph. And if you're not too familiar with him, that is all right. We hear that Joseph is sold as a slave to Egypt. His brothers, they got jealous. Pride got in their way. They didn't like how his father treated Joseph, and they sold him as a slave to Egypt. Now, God reveals to Pharaoh, who is the king of Egypt, through the interpretation of Joseph, actually, that there are going to be coming seven years of abundance, of a lot of food, and it's going to be great. But then there's going to be coming seven years of drought, of famine. And this is really, really important because this changes a lot in the life of Joseph. Because once Joseph is able to interpret this dream that the king or the Pharaoh had, now Joseph is made second in command in all of Egypt. Yes, this is the same guy that came in as a slave. Now he is made ruler over all of Egypt, second only in command to the Pharaoh himself, to the king. So God is using Joseph, and all throughout his life, we see the hand of God in Joseph's life as he's bringing him from all the way down to slave, and we see a series of events that happen to now Joseph being made ruler over all of Egypt. So now, here's the thing. People started coming to Egypt because when this famine came, everybody else ran out of food except Egypt. So everybody would come to Pharaoh and Joseph for food. And amongst those people, if you read the story and if you've heard, it was Joseph's brother, the very same people that sold Joseph as a slave. Joseph immediately recognizes who they are. The brothers, not so much. Well, we hear there's another series of events that happen, and eventually, well, Joseph forgives his brothers, and he invites Joseph's brothers, his family, his dad, to all come over and move into the land of Egypt, right? So they all moved there, and when we read in Exodus chapter 1, we learn that there was a total of 70 people that moved in to the land of Egypt. This was Joseph's brothers, his whole family, all their kids, and all that good stuff. But now a new king rises who doesn't know who Joseph was. Joseph died. Joseph's brothers died and all that family. However, there were still descendants, right? They multiplied. A new king came along. He didn't really know who Joseph was. And this king, we hear that he was scared of how much the Israelites were growing. He's saying they're growing too much. There's too many of them. They're going to join our enemies. They're going to defeat us, and they're going to take over us. So what should we do? We should make them our slaves. And that is what he, do, what he does. Out of fear that the Israelites were growing so much, he makes the Israelites now the slaves. And this begins a period of time in which the Israelites will serve as slaves in the land of Egypt. And this is where we're at right now, jumping into Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. So I give all of that for you to be able to understand where we're at right now. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to follow along. If you do not, that is okay. We're going to have it up in the screen, but we encourage you guys to bring your Bibles and be able to follow along and see it for yourself. So in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, starting there. Oh, yes, freedom over sin is found in Jesus, ladies and gentlemen. We have it up there. Uh, And this is the first part of what we want to talk about is the fact that God delivers, and we're going to see that through this story. Look what it says in Exodus 2, verse 23. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. 
and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, listen to this, and God knew. I forgot to change it. And God knew. God hears his people. These people are in slavery. They're in pain. They're suffering. They cry out to God. And what does he say here? God saw the people of Israel, and he knew. He knew what was next. And let's continue reading to know a little bit more of this story in Exodus chapter 6, starting in verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I would do to Pharaoh, for with his strong hand he would send them out, and with his strong hand he would drive them out of this land. What is going on here? God calls this man named Moses. And he's saying, you will be delivering my people out of slavery. You're going to get them out of this land of Egypt and send them into the land that I've promised. Now, Pharaoh is not really too okay with this, right? He's not going to be like, oh, yeah, take all my slaves. You got it, bro. You're good. No, right? There's a little bit of resistance, and we know a little bit of how that goes. But in verse 2 in Exodus chapter 6, it says that God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I am the Lord, and this is big because this is God revealing himself for his name, for who he is. This is such a holy name that the Jewish writers, Hebrews, don't write this name fully. They avoid the vocals, right? And this is because they think this is such a sacred and holy name of God that they don't even write out the name. They put like an acronym for it, Yahweh. And this is very, very significant. Look what he says here. This is God speaking. I appear to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I do not make myself known to them. This is a very unique name of God. It is the name of God. I also establish my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they live as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you should know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians." I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. And then verse 13, But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Why is this so significant? We heard we saw that the Lord saw them. The Lord knew what was next. It was time for deliverance. And I want you to try to, to follow along as much as you can. I know we're reading a lot from here. But I want you to look at this and try to read this with the goal in mind of trying to learn more about the character of God. Like I said earlier, this would change everything and how you study the word of God. And this is how we properly study his word. 
seeking to know more about him, not just simply looking at, all right, how, does this, how is this beneficial to me, or how can I apply this to my life? But rather, God, what are you trying to say? Who are you through his word? Help me see you. Help me see you through this passage and this story that we're reading. So as we continue reading, in chapter 12, now verse 31, Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. This is Pharaoh speaking. He's had enough. If we read in the account, there's a series of events. They're called the ten plagues. Moses and Aaron will go to Pharaoh, and they will say, Hey, let my people go. uh, Pharaoh, I'm good. No, I'm good. No, no. And then finally, the final plague came, and this absolutely changed Pharaoh's mind. And he's saying, Fine, get out of here, right? Get out of here. Leave this land. Take everything you have, right? And bless me also, he says. But just leave from here because you and your God have brought all this into me. I want nothing to do with you anymore. Get out. All of your people can be free. Then we're reading Exodus 14. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. What is going on here? Israel, um, the Pharaoh, just decides to change his mind. He says, Man, what was I thinking? I shouldn't have let these people go in the first place. Like, they were producing for me. They were my slaves. I don't know what in the world I was thinking. Uh, Yeah, let's go after them again. So after the people leave Egypt, now Pharaoh and his people, it says, go get them, right? So they're going. But now the Israelites have an issue. In front of them, they have the sea, the ocean, you know. People just don't walk on it. And you have Pharaoh and his people right behind them. And now this is an issue, and the people are complaining to Moses. The people are saying to Moses, what are you doing? We would have been better off if we would have stayed in Egypt as slaves than to come here and now just die in the wilderness. And that is what is going on. And now God, I mean, yeah, God is speaking to Moses, and he's saying, why do you cry out to me? Tell the people to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Imagine Moses hearing this from God, like, God, I I know you've done a lot, but like, really, you're going to divide the sea in half so we can walk through it? Like, it's hard, like, this is going to be, you know, a little bit tough to explain to the people that this is what's going to happen. We're going to cross in the middle of, you know, two walls of water from the ocean. Uh, It's going to be a little bit tough, but God makes it even a little bit harder. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they should go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots, and his horsemen. Verse 18. And the Egyptians should know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. And this is as far as I'm going to get into this story. But we see something here. The Israelites went into slavery to the Egyptians. They cried out to God, God, help us. We're in pain, we're suffering, God hurt them. God promised to deliver them, and what did God do? He did. There's two things that I want us to know from the character of God as we read this story. The first thing is that God is trustworthy. I absolutely love that word. Because if you break it down or just put it in a different way, it's saying He is worthy of our trust. Know this, God, the God that we serve, the God that we follow, is worthy of our trust. Why? He's proven it time after time. 
and is one of the characteristics of God that I think we fail to recognize so many times, especially when things don't go as planned, especially when we're going through a difficult situation. We forget that God is indeed trustworthy. We forget that God is indeed in control and that he is indeed powerful enough to turn the situation that didn't go my way, that didn't go as planned, for something even greater, for his glory. God is trustworthy. What he says will happen will happen. The second thing is God is a God of deliverance. He delivers people. He saw the slavery. He saw the need. He's not only willing, but he is also able to save you. And that is why we can trust and come to God. Triple I love the way that he put it. He says, faith is bringing your brokenness to God, is bringing your brokenness to the one who is both willing and able. And that is big because that is real faith. Bringing yourself as you are with your mistakes, with your failures, with your flaws, with your brokenness, whatever it is in your life, and bringing it to the one who is both willing and able to save you, to change you, to make a difference in your life and through your life. And that is the God of the Bible. Now, why do I share this story with you guys? Why is this so significant? It is because of what we read in Hebrews 13, chapter 13, verse 8. It says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Listen to this. Jesus and God are one and the same. So this verse can easily say God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So the God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. We know the Bible is divided in two. So the same God who's able to deliver, the same God who is trustworthy in the old is also trustworthy and is a God of deliverance in the new. And we see that through Jesus. And we're going to see that in just a second. Jesus redeems. That is who Jesus is. He redeems us. He reconciles us with God. And we learn about this in John chapter 19, starting in verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. What we're reading here is the account of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. This is the ultimate demonstration of love as God himself is in his throne, in his glory, surrounded by heavenly beings in heaven, and said, I love this people to the extent that I'm going to take the form of a human, I'm going to put myself in the lowest of lowest and die the worst death possible. Why? Love. Out of love, simply out of that. And this passage describes the pain that he is going through. Look at verse 17. And he went out bearing his own cross. He's carrying this cross, which is extremely heavy. Then somebody comes on and helps him as we read. But it says, to the place called the place of a skull which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. There is Jesus on the cross with two other criminals beside him, the man who knew no sin, the man who lived the perfect life, the only one who's ever lived the perfect life, is being crucified like the worst of criminals. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, To fulfill the scripture, I thirst. What does he say to fulfill the scripture? Jesus, when he came down, he fulfilled all of the prophecies regarding him. In the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus came and died, many of these things were prophesied about him. 
And Jesus fulfilled each and every single one of these. It says, a jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. What we see here is part of the most significant event in all of human history. This point right there, when Jesus says, it is finished, this changed everything for the rest of mankind. And what had happened that day when Jesus said, it is finished on that cross, and he gave up his spirit, still affects your life and my life today. And I think that brings the question, why did Jesus have to die? Because we always hear about, well, Jesus died for you. Jesus died for our sins, and we see the cross, and it's a symbol of all of this. But why did Jesus really have to die? Well, I think the answer is found in his word. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The punishment for sin, the result of sin is death. That's what it leads to, ultimate death. We must keep in mind another attribute of God. God is holy, three times holy. What this means is that he is perfect. He can be near no sin. If God were able to sin, he'll be no different than you and I. This is what makes him God and us humans. This is what makes him perfect because he is holy. He not only can like, not produce sin, he also cannot tempt you with sin as we're reading James, but he can't even be near any sin, and this is important. See, sin is against everything that God is for. Sin is against everything that God is for. I think this right here is a complete game changer when it comes to our perspective on sin. Because the next time that we have this temptation to give in to sin, this is what we've got to be reminded of. The sin is against everything that God is for. Yes, God, the Savior God who gave everything for you, who died on the criminal's cross for you, who shed his blood for you and I. Sin is against everything that he is for. And you choosing this sin is choosing to go against everything that God stands for. And I believe this needs to concern us. And the fact that sometimes it doesn't is a reason to cry out for God, to God for help. Every sin that we commit is against God. It is ultimately against God because God is the ultimate lawgiver. Without God, there is no moral law. The universal sense of right and wrong, it comes from God. It is His law. God is the law. So when we sin, we're sinning against the established law, which is God. And this is why it's such a big deal because we're not just sinning. We didn't just make a little mistake. We're sinning against a holy, righteous God. And this is why Jesus' death is so significant. But that brings the question, why death? Why such a severe sort of punishment? And I think the answer to that is found in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11. It says, for the life of the body is in his blood. Another translation says, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. There must be a shedding of blood for a forgiveness of sin to be possible. This is Leviticus. This is Old Testament. This is hundreds of years before the death of Jesus Christ. And we're understanding this. We're understanding how God sees life. 
and is valued in the blood. This is what we call atonement. And this is what Jesus did for us. This big word, atonement. That God, that Jesus reconciles us with God. He brings us together. He covers over and saying, there was a separation. Jesus brings us together. He made atonement for our sins. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 23, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they, what? Believe that Jesus sacrificed His life Shedding his blood, this sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. Jesus' death frees us from the penalty of our sins. That is why it did. That is why it is so significant. We each had a penalty to pay because each of us, as it says in Romans 3.23, have sinned. And what did Jesus do? He paid the penalty of this sin. To kind of give a little bit of illustration to this and for us to be able to understand it a bit, there's a video that I want to show you guys on what it means to be set free. So hope you guys can enjoy this video. Stop it right there. There you go. I, why do I... <laughs> yes, give it up for free animals. Why am I showing this video? Because I think it is a beautiful picture of what Jesus is doing for you and I when he died on that cross. See, the Bible describes us as slaves to sin. In the same way that these animals were there in captivity and closed up in these cages, and we see this sad instrumental music in the back. 
and then what happens when the door was open, right? It's like life was given back to them, and they ran out of that door, right, and escaped into the wilderness, right, into the wild. And it is a great moment, and we love and we have the hype background music, right, because we love to see things like this. These animals that are being set free, ladies and gentlemen, at a way greater scale, this is what Jesus Christ did for you and I. Us, enslaved to our sin, this was our nature. By him dying on the cross, he made that freedom possible. And that changed everything. It changed absolutely everything. Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 13. And you, who were dead in your trespasses, another word for sins, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having what? Forgiven us all of our trespasses. Forgiven us of all of our sins. Not some, not the ones that he thought weren't that bad. No, it says that God forgave us of all of our trespasses. Of each and every single one of your sin, of my sin, that were forgiven at the cross. And that makes the whole difference in our lives. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. One of the most beautiful passages in all of Scripture. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him, in Christ. What a beautiful picture of what God did. And I think Paul does an incredible job at helping us to be able to see this. And now to help you kind of visualize really what happened on the day of the cross, I have this paper right here. And if you can't really see it, it says certificate of debt, right? This is pretty much what Paul is saying that each of us had. It is a certificate of debt. Now, and behind this paper, I wrote a couple things. These are sins that I have either struggled with or I'm currently struggling with in my life. Right? And the list is way greater than this. Whether that is lust, anger, impatience, pride, jealousy. So many things in my life that I've chosen to disobey God. This is all here. What Paul is saying that Jesus did, right? This certificate of debt, this thing that we own to God, right? What does it say? Canceling the record of debt that stood against us with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Here is the cross. Now, this isn't the actual cross of Jesus Christ, as we know. But I hope you're able to visualize this and see what Paul is talking about here and what Christ really did for your sin and mine. This is my disgusted sin that I've committed against God. But no matter what I've done, no matter how long this list is, no matter how long your list is, what God did, what Jesus did on that cross, was nail that to the cross. Keep in mind, what is the crucifixion to the people that Paul is writing to? It is the ultimate form of death. It's not just death. It is a humiliating death. What Paul is saying here is that Jesus nailed this to the cross. He killed sin. 
He overcomes and in a very humiliating way, it was put to death. Along with all the sins in the back that I've committed, that you've committed. And that goes from the smallest of sin to the largest of sins that you've committed in your life. All of them are nailed to this cross. So why do I show you this? Because there are so many times in our lives that we feel shame, that we feel guilt because of our sin. And we walk in that shame. We walk in that guilt rather than looking at the cross. So what do I tell you right now? Look at your sin, but look at your sin through the light of this. And remember that it was nailed to the cross. Nailed. It was killed. What does that mean? Sin no longer has any power over your life. No, you have the ability now to make the choice to walk in obedience to God. And all of that is made possible because of this, because of what he did. He ended it all. Next time you feel tempted to sin, be reminded of this, that you were bought with a price, that your sin was paid with the blood of Jesus Christ himself. He didn't die for you to continue to walk in sin. No, he died so that you could walk in freedom. Now, God does not, no, he absolutely doesn't expect perfection from you, but he does expect you to come to the cross, to surrender before him, and to acknowledge and recognize that he is the only way, that this is the only way to God. This is good news. This is what we call the gospel of Jesus, and this alone. In Romans chapter 6, we see a great picture of this. Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? This is a genuine question that people had, and Paul is presenting it. Well, if God is so forgiven, if God is so gracious, then I'm just going to keep on sinning because it's all right. It's already nailed to the cross. Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by this glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. And we know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that no sin, so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. And if you're saying, I don't know about that, I don't, I don't know how I've, like, I still struggle with sin. Ladies and gentlemen, the Bible is not lying. If you've known Christ, if you've come to him, you might struggle with sin, but sin no longer has a power over you. That penalty is canceled at the cross. And it is that, the same thing that forgives you is the same thing that allows you to walk in freedom and forgiveness from him every day. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. And since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Listen to me. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. 
Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. This is our response to a God who delivers and a Jesus who redeems. A life of surrender. Jesus' death frees us from the power of sin. That is what that did. It freed you from the power. Now that freedom is made possible. This reminds me a lot. I have some birds at home. They're called canaries. Now similar to this video that we saw, but in a little bit of a different way. Now these birds, the two of them, they live in a cage, right? They live in this cage. That's, that's their thing. They live there. Now, every once in a while, we try to open the door, you know, let them free a little bit, fly around the house, have a good time. But here's what we noticed. The first couple of times that we did it, we will open the door, and they'll stay in there. And me and my dad were a little bit confused, like, what are you doing? Like, you, you, the door is open, you're able to fly around as much as you want, do whatever you want. But they stayed in there. Why? Because that is what they were used to their whole life. That is what they were comfortable with. And I believe this is what happens so many times in our lives. Jesus, when he died on the cross, what he did was, in the cage of slavery to sin that you and I were all in, he opened that door. And what we do is, like those birds, they stay in there. Because they were comfortable there. We get comfortable in our sin. We like it. We get used to it. Ladies and gentlemen, what God is asking us to do, the door is already open. All you have to do is fly out of that cage. And that is the choice that each and every single one of us here must make. What did Jesus do? He opened the door to the cage of the slavery to sin. Now, choose to walk in forgiveness, in the forgiveness that Jesus offers to you. It is a daily commitment. And that is what we're going to be talking about next Friday. Christ made it possible. Now it's up to you to respond. Are you going to stay inside that cage when the door is open? Or are you going to fly it out in freedom, walking in freedom, experiencing newness of life? It's a daily choice that you must make. Jesus already made it possible. Next step is to walk and surrender to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for making freedom over sin possible. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for his sacrifice, oh God. Thank you that because of what you've done, because of who you are, God, we're able to experience a new life, to walk in freedom, not having to be tied down to those sins, to those same struggles, God, but that we can experience something different with you. And I thank you that you made that possible. I thank you that you are indeed a God of deliverance, that you are a God who is trustworthy. And it is my prayer that if there's anyone here tonight that does not see you as trustworthy, God, I pray that you work in their hearts and they're able to ask the questions. They're able to have the conversations with you. They're able to reach out and see you for who you are. I pray that you reveal yourself to them, God. God, it is my prayer that we can come before you and walk in freedom, that we can choose to walk in the forgiveness that you have so graciously offered to each and every single one of us. I thank you for canceling the debt of our sin, for freeing us from not only the penalty, but the power of sin in our lives, and for nailing it to the cross, absolutely killing it and destroying it. 
So God, help us to walk in obedience to you. Help us to love you better, to love you well, God, and to love those around us. We thank you for your grace, and it is through all of this, God, in your precious name of Jesus Christ, that we all pray and say, amen.